Well, good morning, Community Church. Are we ready to worship God this morning? Good. Why don't we stand to our feet? We want to welcome everybody watching online this morning. We're glad you're with us. We're trusting today that God's going to meet everybody in the room. We're trusting that God's going to meet everybody watching online. That's who he is. So are we ready to worship him in spirit and in truth? To give our 100% focus to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who is worthy to be praised. So Father, we declare that right now. As we're walking in this room, Father, you are worthy, worthy of all praise, of all honor. So this morning, as we come in this house, we choose to lay down those things that would distract us. We choose to put down those hardships. We choose to put down our disappointments. We choose to say yes and amen to the King of Kings. We choose to honor him. We choose to worship him. We choose to give you glory because you are worthy. So let's honor him this morning and give him all of our attention and give him all of our worship in Jesus' name. Let me paint a picture for you because we're standing here in a room and we're worshiping. But what if there was more happening than we could see with our eyes? What if God wanted you to use your faith right now to rescue somebody whose life was in peril? What if we weren't just in a room singing songs and hoping to get personal relief, refreshment? Have you ever ever seen those crises like, you know, the, the floods recently in Abbotsford? Have you ever seen rescue teams? All of a sudden they hear of a lost five-year-old child. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what priorities you have. It doesn't matter if you're tired. It doesn't matter if you, well, you're supposed to go to chess club tonight. All of a sudden you go get your emergency rescue gear. You show up and you, you forge into the wilderness to rescue what if there were churches that needed rescuing right now what if there were people you see this is the reality that there are people that need rescuing and we think well god that's your job and god's saying no it's not my job it's your job i'm trying to use you as an agency of change in the earth And I'm looking for volunteers in the day of my power to release faith that will suspend and break through the darkness that is presently crushing someone. Somebody is on the verge of losing their life, losing their hope, losing their salvation. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the mission. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Father, we say to the weary ones today, receive your salvation. Receive your deliverance. 
receive your breakthrough in Jesus' name. May the fragrance of your Father come into your dwelling. Come into the darkness. Come into the hopelessness. We contend for your breakthrough. I know some, sometimes you may tire of being called to action all the time. But God doesn't have anybody else. He has you. He doesn't have anybody else. He has you. The disciples didn't really understand their destiny. And so every time they came up against crisis or need, they kind of threw up their hands helplessly. Well, the people are hungry. Lord, send them home so they can eat. And Jesus said, you feed them. We don't have food. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is approaching the time of his death. There's no big billboard telling the disciples, hey, this is a critical time. There's no advance notice. There's no Because these things are meant to be picked up and discerned by the Spirit with the eyes of faith. And I can't imagine how disappointed Jesus must have been there at that critical moment when he was looking for the support of those ones that were closest to him. And they fell asleep. And not one was able to watch with him for an hour. That story is meant to diminish over history until God says, there you go. There's a generation, there's a people who come up, who volunteer in the day of my power, who do not fall asleep, who awaken the dawn, who when the bell rings, they come to fight. Whether they're tired, whether they had a bad week, whether they have other needs, because they discern, no, there's something of a higher order. God is calling and the invitation is given for us to participate in that or get caught up in the orbit of natural things natural pursuits natural frustrations and week in and week out be taken out by our menial existence when God is saying there is a classic battle, an eternal conflict happening between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, and I'm desperately looking for volunteers. Years ago, somebody stopped coming to our church, and I like them, they're wonderful people, but the reason was, well, you know, when I come to church, I want to come to church for the church to do something for me. You know, I work all week and I come and I want to I want this to be my time of relax. And God is saying, I understand that I, too, am looking for a place of rest. Where where is my place of rest that you are called to prepare? Listen, 
you shouldn't be resting before I'm resting is his point. So he's calling us up to a mindset that's mature, to a partnership, to be co-heirs, co-workers, co-inheritors with him. This is the colossal opportunity that is being offered to us. A glory that we can participate in and walk in for eternity. And one day we're going to stand before him. We're going to look at all the decisions we made and think, oh, seriously? Seriously, is that the choice I made? And I'm not saying this to condemn or to make anybody feel bad. I'm saying this to excite you about the opportunity and the honor that is being given to us right now. I always wanted to be a firefighter when I was a kid because the adventure and the sense of calling to rescue was a part of my spiritual DNA. You know what? It's part of your DNA as a child of the Lord to save and to seek the lost. Those that don't know Christ, those that know him and are overrun, those that are in the middle of the, of the trial and are being being uh, on the verge of breaking, we're here to rescue. And it's never a convenient time. (laughs) But Father, we want to say, Lord, even though we may not be ready to answer every call, Father, we want to be ready, more ready tomorrow than we are today and more ready next week than last week. Father, may the trajectory of our readiness just increase and increase and increase that we could be part of that company of people that you are not ashamed to call your own. My greatest desire is that, because you know when I say these things, it's probably, probably maybe some of you never thought about it this morning. Maybe you're just here enjoying the melodies and the music and you never thought of God's need for a people. And now it makes perfect sense. And now you see it and now you're awakened to it. What if we didn't have to be reminded? What if there was a place where we started to see above the fray of the natural to what was really happening out there and we just started stepping in Every time. I'm sure that's what Jesus wanted, you know. I I hate to have to remind you guys to pray, but, you know, I'm kind of dying here. (laughs) I'm facing principalities and powers of the age. I'm I'm about to experience something I've never experienced. I'm about to experience separation from my Father, and the torrents of death are overwhelming me, and I wish I had a friend to hold my hand. There's people out there right now, they wish they had a line of hope. We could give that to them. And if we knew the crisis, if we knew a child was about to be run over, we would dive in front of that and and rescue them. That's the level of crisis that is there every day, all the time. We just don't see it. We just don't perceive it. But it's calling us up to see what he sees. So, Lord, we're willing. (laughs) Glory to God. Thank you, team.
so great to have a group of people that are on all the time. Woohoo! Thanks, team. You know, I was uh, I was thinking about this this little exhortation. You know, because this challenge that we have is God is always trying to wake us up to be useful to things, and I'm thinking how easy it is for us to. You know, because there's something in us that wants adventure, but we substitute real adventure for for fake adventure. And so we watch a show with adventure, right? And, you know, I remember as a child watching war movies and, you know, wanted to be the hero, wanted to be the one rushing into battle, wanted, you know, saving the day, right? But it's not like TV. It's not never like TV, and the music accompaniment and, you know, all the, all the, you know, the emotional framing of everything. It's like, it's so fulfilling. It's like, well, you know what? When you do the right thing in prayer, when you get up when it's inconvenient and you pray it from one to two in the morning or when you come here and, you know, you're tired but you came anyway, there's no musical accompaniment as you're coming in there. The angels aren't singing. There isn't a parade of people, you know, welcoming you into the church and well done, faithful servant. (laughs) But God is trying to train us, raise our perspective, you know, create an idea, show us what's really happening in the world around us so that we can engage on a whole different level. And, uh, And so... Father, we pray that you would do that in our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me, last week I began to talk about something, and uh, I'm going to continue with that, and it has to do with the sifting journey, because God is, God is actually increasing your faith, and this is elementary to the journey, because it takes faith to engage with the invisible realm. And so uh, when you don't have great faith, you are largely aided by other features, the example of others or the stimulations and the environments that we create for you. You know, sometimes we get so dependent upon just the right song to give us that emotion, which then, then, you know, sing it again and three or four times in I might be willing to, Oh, yeah, yeah, I feel good enough now to do that thing, to, to, to connect. And so God is trying to say, listen, I want you to see without seeing. I want you to feel without feeling. I want you to know without knowing. Because there's a whole realm of capacity that, that you can have to, to be able to interact with that invisible realm. And so there's an entire journey that we're on. And even if you don't know you're on it, you're on it. You're in God's school. So the question is, you know, where are you at? I mean, to me, the most horrible thing, and I remember I, had, I was in risk. When I was in grade seven, my teachers wanted to hold me back. And to me, that was the, the worst possible outcome there could be. I mean, hold me back, you mean I got to stay in grade seven? With the little kids for another year? How humiliating. I mean, there just seemed to be nothing worse than that. And yet, the prospect of being held back 
is what faces us as believers all the time, and we don't even know it. But the nature of this journey upward is not what it seems because it's a lot easier to slide back. You know, at least in that world of academics, I all the impulses, all the, the motivation was, no, don't hold me back. You know, and it, I wanted to work for this. In the kingdom of God, because everything is hidden, it's the easiest thing is to slide back. The hardest thing is to go up further. And uh, so we're on this journey, and in the same way that Simon was being sifted, and I read it last week, week, but let me read it again in Luke 22. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked that he may sift you as wheat, but I've prayed that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And so he was going to go through this thing and he was going to experience some kind of setback because there would be a returning to Jesus. So if there was a returning, that must mean there was some kind of departure. And we know that Peter went back to fishing. And, uh, and part, of, part of what he had to overcome in coming back was the sense of shame that he failed at Jesus because he was the biggest bragger of them all. Right? He was the big mouth. He was always saying, well, all these losers may fail you, but I will not. And Jesus is like, oh, don't say those things, Peter. <laughs> you know, Because uh, now I have to show you that you're no better than them. In fact, <laughs> nobody's going to fail me quite as badly as you. <laughs> so there's a sifting, and it, it, it's part of the journey that we're in. In the, in the case of what I want to talk about this morning is there's a sifting in our, li- in our lives where God is going to separate the chaff from the grain. He's going to remove the husk. The husk represents to me the trappings of Christianity, the behaviors, the environments, a lot of the activities that we can do that really are what the Bible calls a form of godliness, but don't have the life, don't have the power. And so God is going to say, see, he's going to, he wants to do this thing where I want to separate the thing that's faith-based from the thing that's natural, the thing that's spiritual, the thing that relates to the invisible, and separate it from the thing that's visible. And so how does he do that? Well... Largely by exposure. Isn't that fun? So in Matthew 12, in Matthew 12, when we read this last week, but Matthew 12 says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and, so, and no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And I shared a little bit about uh, what I felt was the significance of the sign of Jonah last week, and it went over like a lead balloon. But, uh, but anyway, meditate on that. We'll, we'll have to deal with that some other time, but I don't want to get caught up in trying to explain that. Rather, what I want to do is I want to talk about this thing. See, because the, these people are coming to Jesus, right? So they're coming to Jesus. It, it, it apparently looks like they're interested, right? They seem to be interested. Furthermore, they want to see... Something spiritual, something divine. And you think, you know, Jesus might want to encourage that. 
<laughs> right? So, so you're like, well, you know, because they're, they're trying, Jesus. I mean, I can just see Peter coming to him afterwards. You know, like, like th- those Pharisees, you know, that was a big step for them to come to your meeting. Right. Oh, yeah, I know they sat in the back and they were disbelieving and, you know, critical. But but just the fact that they're here, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> what are you getting at? I'm getting at this, that the, the training to create faith in us sometimes require that we ignore perceived value. And the disciples might say, you know, we're trying to build a following here, Jesus. Don't do too much to discourage those that are starting to come along. And certainly there's a time when God is so merciful, when we're, our, our faith is so little that he comes and he comforts us and he reinforces us. But there comes a time when they say, listen, I'm not going to dote on your unbelief anymore. I'm not going to satisfy the needs of your cringing fear. I'm not going to feed this thing inside of you that's always needing reinforcement. I mean, think about it. This is a relationship with God. And, uh, and every, every couple of days, imagine if you, you, you were married. <laughs> Maybe this is too close to home. <laughs> imagine you were married. <laughs> and you said to this, your spouse, husband or wife, whoever it is, you said, I love you. And then every 20 minutes, you find your spouse crying and weeping and saying, I'm just, I, you don't love me. You, you just don't love me. You don't, I, I just don't believe that you love me. Well, what can I do to show? Well, wash the dishes. Well, you know, take out the garbage. Well, you know, take me on a nice dinner. Well, you know, Give me a hug, whatever it is. How frustrating would it be if you're in a relationship and you could never get that person to actually believe that they would always want you to prove that love? Like, what is the, what is the time gap between, I mean, obviously that's, that's a little ridiculous, 15 minutes, right? But how long do you feel that God is distant and start to wonder if he's around. You know, how long does it take? God touches you, God visits you, God renews your faith, God, and you come away from a moment saying, oh, God loves me, this is so great. From that time forward, if God doesn't say anything or do anything, how long does it take before you start to wonder? Does he actually love me? I mean, when you have one-sided love, when one is always trying to convince the other about things, it gets tiresome after a while. It's like, you know, could you just believe me? Imagine a, an insecure spouse, right? A man who's got a wife who's really good looking and he's super jealous. And he keeps believing that she's flirting with everybody else. And, so, and, and it gets proven False again and again and again. Eventually, she says, listen, what do I have to do? Right? So God is saying, I want a people who believe me. I want a people who trust me. And so he's pulling us along this journey to create faith because he wants to use us to impose upon the visible world the invisible world. But he needs a people who see the invisible world, who interact with the invisible world without the need 
of natural affirmations. And so what he's seeing here is this sentimental, soulish thing that looks like faith but is not faith. So here's the question for us. Where in our lives do we have sentimentality? Where in our lives do we have activity that looks like faith but is not faith? The scenario we find ourselves in is not really different than the father who had the demonized son who kept throwing himself into the fire in Mark chapter 9, I think it is. Yeah, Mark 9, 24. And, and uh, he's asking the disciples to cast out the demon, and they can't. And the father's distraught, and then Jesus comes down, and he says, you know, Lord, would you help me? I've asked your disciples. They can't do this. And Jesus asked him the question. He says, do you believe? He says, yes. And he says this in the King James, help thou my unbelief. <laughs> in other words, well, yes and no. I, I, I kind of believe, I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, but, you know, people told me, don't get your hopes up too high. Right? You know, so I, I kind of believe, but I don't. So that's the, that's the place we generally find ourselves in, is that there is a mixture of faith and unbelief and so that we well we can last this long persevering and believing but then we need resolution otherwise we stop believing we start caving we start falling apart and so that god what god wants to do is like can we extend this a little further can i get you to believe well how many circumstances can you experience that are negative and against, you know, what you would like to see happen in your life before you start to say, God doesn't love me. And God is saying, listen, I, I want to extend that. Is it, is it a week? Is it two weeks? Like, I want to get you to believe me no matter what happens. See, the beautiful thing, and if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when Paul is talking about his apostleship, he said, God has appointed apostles last. And he starts to, to enumerate the litany of negative things that happened to them, to apostles. You know, and it's like, and he's sending a message to the church at that time because, well, I thought, I thought the nature of this faith journey is just things get better and better and better and better and better. Because according to you, the apostleship is like you're, you're the one who believes the most and worse and worse and worse things are ha- happening in your life. I'm not sure this is what I signed up for. And it's not that worse things, it's that, it's that people with faith can absorb, can absorb the negative things that are happening in the world without losing their faith. And so God shifts the weight of things onto others so that you don't have to carry them because you don't have the faith for it. So that's, that's a whole other thing. I don't want to talk about that today. But that is a mystical thing that's happening in the body of Christ. And that's why you need to love those who actually carry weight for you that you don't even know carry weight for you. I mean, when, when God removes the veil, think about this. He's going to pull the veil back and he realized that all these moments where we started attacking and criticizing leaders, they were actually at the forefront of the battle for our souls, taking all the hits for us, but uh, one or two squeaks through, and then all of a sudden you get all negative towards that guy. Don't even know what's being done for you. It's kind of like parenting, right? When you're a parent, all of a sudden you start to, 
and you start to appreciate your parents a lot more. Because you realize, I didn't, I didn't realize what they did for me. It's like, I thought that was all me. I want to do it myself. And, and so we, we indulge that illusion, and, and, and we thought we were doing this, and we were thought we were all that, and then we become parents or thing, saying, I haven't had sleep for two years. Mothers, mothers say, I haven't eaten a warm meal in 10. <laughs> right? And, and as, as kids, we just sort of, well, that's what parents do. And we find reasons to criticize and to diminish them and to, to you know, solely, well, they could have been better parents. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Won't we? <laughs> so faith is like that. God is trying to bring you into a place of productivity where your faith actually is carrying other people and the load of their life. Father, help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. And so this father cries out, help my unbelief. Now, what are the other references? And I guess I'm still reviewing somewhat. But the judgment seat of Christ... And I'll read these scriptures from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. That's interesting imagery right there. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. In other words, we're doing all the work. And you are the ones being worked on. You are God's building according to the grace of God which has given me. As a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay uh, than what that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. In other words, I've laid a foundation. That foundation is pure. It's the manifestation of Jesus. It's born of grace. And those that are coming after me as leaders, be careful what you add to this construct. And what, be careful what you're adding to the lives of people because there's no value in anything that is not consistent with the material that is in the foundation. And so understanding that, no, people are going to make mistakes. People are going to add things to their, to their lives because they just don't understand uh, the purity of the material that's needed. So he says, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, stubble in another version, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So here's the idea. At the end of your life, we're all standing before the judgment seat of Christ. We're not being judged for whether we're going to heaven or hell. This is not that. This is reward. This is you're being judged for a reward. And so you bring all the things that are good that you did, because all the things you did bad, you already repented for. Right? God has already thrown your sin into the sea of his forgetfulness because, you know, you, 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 you repented, you turned, you said, God, forgive me. Right? So the things you're bringing now are not the bad things and the good things. They're just the good things. Right? These are the things you feel you're going to get rewarded for. But there's something about us we don't, see, we don't understand. We're kind of like that guy who, who says he killed Saul. 
in the Old Testament. This guy, you know, Saul was fighting the Philistines and he tells the story. He comes to David. He says, David, I killed your enemy, expecting he would receive a reward. But he doesn't know that what he did was, how dare you lay your hand against the Lord's anointed? I I thought he was seeking your life. Yeah, but he's still the Lord's anointed. So he he was executed. If he had known that he was going to be executed, he wouldn't have told anybody that. It wasn't even true. He didn't do it. It's like, man, bad time to lie. But he had no concept of what would bring reward and what would bring execution. There's high degree of ignorance but he because these things are invisible it made sense that yeah he's your enemy he's seeking your life you know he's the obstacle to your destiny so i helped kill him you know pay up and so we come to god with that kind of idea because we have a a a bunch of things we feel we did now god owes us in fact one of the reasons one of the reasons people backslide most often, people get disillusioned is because they feel they did a bunch of things for God and God is not rewarding them in a sufficiently excellent manner. You think, man, that's kind of, kind of a high degree of entitlement, isn't it? God, you owe me? Father, erase from our hearts the sense that, Lord, now you owe us because we did X, Y, or Z. Father, erase that. Where, and I, I just let the Holy Spirit, even today, put his finger on that. How much disillusionment, how much discouragement, how much have you backed off from a position of faith because God didn't do the thing for you that you thought he should do? Because, I mean, the reality is it makes perfect sense. Like, who is the master and who is the servant? We hit this all the time as a church. And I shared that parable some several times, many times, and I'll share it again and again and again. He said, you know, when a, when a landowner is out in the field and they're working and the servants are working, he says, when they've worked all day and they're hungry and tired and they come into the house, does the servant sit down and make, you know, and eat right away? He says, I say not. Jesus said that. I say no, no, no way. Absolutely not. First, he tends to the needs of the master. So, look at your Christian life. How much, is that, how much of that defines you? Well, Lord, you should be even happy I showed up for church. Okay, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't give 10%, Lord, but I gave 5 you're lucky I even gave that. I know, I'm getting, getting really deep now, right? Entitlement. God, you owe me. I suffered. I, I encountered injustice. This is not fair. God, if you aren't setting things right right now and delivering me and setting me free and, and justifying me and rewarding me for that thing that that person did, I'm out of here. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So the judgment seat of Christ is the time where we bring all the things we think we did good. And some of them just are gone in an instant. They're just evaporated by the glory of God because they're not made of the material 
That is faith. Faith is enduring. Faith it has a quality that, that of heaven, of spiritual things, that has a remaining capacity. It's fruit that remains. Natural things are gone. And so it's God's mercy that he's bringing you through this process. Listen, I don't want you to spend your whole life doing things for yourself and thinking it's for me. That, that's my mercy that I would do that. That I would frustrate your sense of entitlement, your sense of what, what makes you special and higher than everybody else. I am frustrating that because I want you to have reward. I want to bless you. I want you to have a name with me in it that reigns for eternity. I want you to be a part of this inheritance. Wow. Thank you, Lord. And so in that day, it says the day will declare it. In other words, we're suddenly going to see that those things that we thought were eternal were actually temporary. And that's the nature of it. It's, it's, it's the temporary versus the eternal. And the soul of man, our natural thinking is always geared towards the temporal. And so God is trying to deliver us from that. But we're not the first ones, right? God, God has done this all along. And so I want to talk about Job for a minute. Do you remember that guy, Job? Now, he's a great example of somebody who was doing things that seemed like faithful service, right? But we're not. And again, we have to realize as leaders, as people who are, are going to be a part of the body of Christ, if you're going to disciple anybody, you want to bring them to a place where they're giving up all of the sense of accomplishment for things that don't matter. And, uh, you know, there might, be, there might be scaffolding in their lives, uh, and they're fully invested in the scaffolding because they don't know it's scaffolding until the real building starts to emerge. But anyway, so I'll read in chapter 1 of Job, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz. I think it's Uz or Uz. Whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his oxen were 7,000, 3,000 camels. 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Pretty wealthy, pretty high on the success uh, ladder or scale. And verse 4 says, And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their sisters, their three sisters, to eat and drink with them. And so it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job sent, uh, would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God, in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Wow. What a blameless guy, right? Now when God says a man is blameless, doesn't mean he's perfect. 
When somebody's blameless, they don't have any present sin in their life. You know, there's, they're, they're not murdering people. They're not defrauding people of finances. And so Job, Job's whole thing is he didn't really understand where God was taking him. And in his mind at that point, I, I just got to live right. I just got to do right. I got to say the right things. I got to worship God. I got to honor. I want to make sure I never curse God. But God, how many of you know that God is interested in what's inside of your heart? And so this seeming faith was there, and he was doing these things, but what was the catalyst for that stuff? Fear, yeah, exactly. In chapter 3, in verse 25, after, see, and we know what happens, God allows things to happen. Now, I'm not going to go in and say why things happen, but listen, fear is faith. Fear is faith. Fear has an expectation that something which is, has not been seen will occur. I mean, think about it, right? Fear reaches into the invisible realm and pulls the invisible into the real. That's kind of what faith does. Fear expects bad things to happen. When you're fearful, you, you are believing for the unlikely, right? Murphy's laws, right? It's like, uh, you know, things are going too good. Well, you know, I mean, something bad is going to happen. Yeah, 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 sure. Keep believing for that. <laughs> I mean, you, you can see how natural unbelief is. Unbelief and belief operate together in our lives in levels of of existence and it's the same thing with job so at the end he says for the thing i greatly feared has come upon me and what i dreaded has happened to me i am not at ease nor am i quiet i have no rest for trouble comes what's happening here is god mad at job no he he said job is the greatest guy around he said nobody's there's nobody like my servant job there's nobody as faithful as him this is not a demotion, this is a promotion. Now, I won't go into the whole thing, but at the end of his, his journey, God restores things to him, and we know that, but what heartache for, to go through. But at the end, he's, this is what Job says. He says, before I knew you after the hearing of my ear, but now, now there's something, now I know you. Now I know you. You see, the reward of faith is you get to know him. The reward of faith is that I'm going to take you from a peripheral place where your idea about me is vague and distant and the rules of engagement and interaction are based on a lot of fear, a lot of, a lot of you feeling condemned and shame and doing something to compensate for your condemn, condemnation and fear. And then, and then that, that strengthening your resolve and all of a sudden you feel justified in my presence based on what, how you responded to fear. Does that sound like the way that God wants us to seek him? No, it's not faith at all. But it has all the trappings of, of faith. This guy, he's diligent. He offered more 
burnt oxen than anybody. He, he was diligent. He was steadfast. He was, he was going after God with all his heart. Look at the bad things that happened to him. Well, he wasn't exactly as pure as you think. He was blameless in terms of sin, but God said, listen, because of the present level of faith that you have and the diligence, I'm going to give you a higher level of faith. And a higher level of faith is I'm going to diminish in you the unbelief and the fear that keeps you at a distance from me. That's what I'm going to do. And that is a reward. Faith, the nature of faith, the foundation of faith is one that believes and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What does he reward us with? The knowledge of him. That is the greatest reward. So, but here's the question. What... What fears do we have? Because if we thought, you know, that, well, here's the question. What religious service do you offer God? What things are you planning to take into eternity to set before the Lord? Say, look at, look at, Lord, all these things I did for you. Look at how many hours of prayer that I put in. And the Lord said, yeah, that, that hour's no good. Uh, that hour's no good. That's fear-based. That's anxiety. That's, you. oh, you had some shame. You're approving yourself to me. It's like... What makes a work approved by God is not what it appears to be on the surface, but what what was the genesis of that thing? What is the root? What is the DNA? What sparked the impulse to do that thing? You know, now I'm really going to lean into some things. You think, well, why don't we have more revival? Why isn't God doing things, you know? Why is it, why, where's, where's our children? How come God's not showing up to do something for my kids? Because your fear's in the way. Well, I've done everything possible to make sure my kids don't stumble. And in so doing, you've put a massive barrier between them and me. Thanks for that. <laughs> I know, it's not easy. Fear, fearing your kids won't serve God creates a certain impulse in you to do things, and when you do those things, they don't reinforce faith because they're unbelief. They're literally unbelief. You're sacrificing for them, but the genesis of that is fear and unbelief. You don't, you don't actually believe God. Can it be true? Well, let me tell you. When I first became a Christian and, you know, I was started our ministry the first year, you know, because I'm, I'm watching, I'm thinking, okay, God called me to do this thing, start this thing called Watchman on the Wall, and I, I'm thinking, okay, what do itinerant ministries do? So I'm seeing what itinerant ministries do, and I thought, well, I need to have a newsletter, I need to write some things, and the Lord told me to write, but I start writing some things, and I'm, I'm going like gangbusters, trying to get it, as many invitations to speak at churches, and, and trying to get as many people signed up for my newsletter as possible, and at the end of a year of this, God gives me a moment where he visits me, and he shows me the panorama of all the things I'm doing that year and I am not encouraged because what I see is activity, lots of activity, lots of activity, no faith. And the Lord, I remember the Lord said to me very specifically because I, I had, God's amazing how in one moment he can f- cause you to feel the substance of what you've been doing for a year, the weight of, of all that striving suddenly hit me and I felt exhausted. 
And I felt even more demoralized when I realized it wasn't necessary. He said, you didn't do these things because of faith. You did these things because of unbelief. Is that possible? Is it possible to go to church for 20 years? Is it possible to do all the right things for the wrong reason and to have it before the presence of God and have it vanish? Yes, it's entirely possible. And that's okay. God's willing to have you languish in, in striving because that's how, what needs to happen so that you get exhausted. <laughs> right you have to get exhausted before you're saying god why don't you help me and they say like okay now we can start talking see that journey is happening all the time whether you know it or not that interaction and god is trying what i want to do with you is i want to bring you to a place where you see the difference between what starts from you and your fear and what starts from me and the most frustrating part of it is when God showed me that year, I realized I could see the evidence all along. When I saw that year, I, the anxiety itself, the striving, the fear, should have told me that there's something wrong. But, you know, we're clueless. I was t- entirely clueless. I had all the right language. Oh, you know, we're just stepping out in faith. You know, we don't, we don't need finances because God is our source. Yeah, keep telling yourself that. It's true, but you don't really believe it. And so you are mistaking faithfulness for striving. Acts generated by fear for faith. You know, it says in, uh, I think it's Hebrews chapter 9, it says that one of the things that the blood of Jesus does for us is it cleanses our conscience from dead works. Dead works. Do you know what are dead works? Those are works which are not life-filled. They have no life in them. They're dead. They're useless. They're the kind that is going to evaporate. Wood, hay, stubble. In fact, if you go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, when it says the word of God is living and active, those words used to define the word of God, are the antonym of dead works. They're actually living works and dead works. So what he's saying is, listen, I've called you to live and to work and to do by every word which proceeds from my mouth. But too often, because of your fear and your anxiety, you are mobilized by the voice of fear. And so those things that come out of that, while they, they may appear just as good as, you know, in the landscape of Christendom, they may look like faithful service, like Job's, but it's like, ah, it's a waste. Now, let me, let me wrap this up quickly. That's okay. That's okay, because... The only way for you to discover a quality work versus a worthless work is to experience both. You have to experience both. You have to buy a cheap thing and have it break. I saw saw a wonderful illustration of this the other day. The caption is, 
when your contractor or when your client asks you if you can do it cheaper. And there's this beautiful painting or drawing of this horse. I mean, the backside of the horse, the tail, it's absolutely beautiful. You know, shadows. I mean, you can see the ripple of every muscle, every nuance is beautiful. But as it gets, you know, right about the rib section, then it turns into a stick man horse. (laughs) Right? And it's like, can, can you do it cheaper? So at some point in the natural, we learn that you get what you pay for. And over the course of time and experience, you realize that there are some things that are more enduring than other things. And this is the same with our journey of faith. We start to realize that those things that we invested so much in, you know, and I, I invested a lot in that first year. We took you know, we were we had Tiffany at that time, and we traveled when he was with me. And sometimes we got gas money, and sometimes we didn't even get gas money. And it's like, man, it's a lot of a lot of work here, doing a lot of things for you. And the Lord's like, yeah, not so much. But that's okay, because there's labor involved in entering the rest of God. You have to experience striving and start to hate the meager returns. And so, uh, what a waste. What a waste. I did all, I did six years of this in my life. No, it's not a waste. You needed to do that because that's your starting point. And so, we don't feel shame about that, but we do hope. Yeah, I wish I was a quicker learner. Right, right? I'd like to learn this faster. What is it, Lord, what does it feel like when I'm doing something for you versus for me? Ah, I'm glad you want to know. See, at the beginning of our Christian life, we just think anything good, God owes us. Then you start to realize, you know, even that sense of God owing you, that tells you something about the thing you did. There's messages coming back to you all the time. And the messages are the basic things. All of the negativity that comes with church life, people criticizing, angry at one another, divisive, frustrated, lashing out, all of that is the evidence that you are walking in the flesh. So welcome to the walk. Welcome to the journey. And when we're fathers and mothers, we, we, as we watch our kids, we think, I wish I could just impart to you all the things I know. It's like, no, but I want to buy that three-cent trinket. It's going to be broken before you get home, but I want it. Okay, pay a dollar for the three-cent trinket. And then on the way home, you know, you're sending, I told you so, but you know, it's like, oh, there, there, there. Because you, they're not even ready to absorb the lesson of the moment. What if that was you? <laughs> but God is so patient. He's like, uh, little by little, little by little, I just, I'm waiting till you, till it starts to, hey, wait a minute. You know, Matthew bought this gun, and he's had it, that plastic metal thing, no, that metal gun, he's, he's had it for a year and a half, hasn't even broken. And I've gone through 20 little plastic ones. Yeah, because this one is better. And so God is saying, I 
I'm training you. I'm, I'm the author and finisher of your faith. I have you in a season where I'm bringing you from one level to another level. I'm not disillusioning you. I'm not trying to dissuade you. I'm not trying to frustrate you. I am, however, trying to bring, give you a sense of what is enduring. What, what is the fruit that remains? What does actually faith look like? Because one day... We're all going to stand in front of him, hoping for tremendous reward. Now, he says, if those works are burnt up, right, you're not at the, you're going to suffer loss. Yes, you are going to suffer loss. All right, but you're saved. And at the end of the day, when you're in heaven, and when you get to be in the presence of God and experience the Lord, there's no regrets. Uh, you know, that, man, I'm just, I'm so grateful I have this. But what if it could be better? Because we're, right, we're not there now. We're here. And you have years in front of you. And you can spend those years being bitter and frustrated that people aren't doing it your way. Can you, you can start to wake up to the fact that, you know, that stream of unsettledness. You know, the Bible says godliness with contentment is great name, great gain. And I, all this discontentment coming out of me, it's not my problem. It's because the church isn't doing what it should do. If they just did what I say, then I wouldn't be so discontented. God is giving us evidence wisdom is speaking all the time we just are slow learners and god's okay with that yeah that's my son he's a bit of a slow learner but (laughs) i'm gonna use him for something i got loads of things for people to do in my kingdom (laughs) you know i can i can use anybody and everybody and I will. I'll even use what you limit me to. But I'll use you. But what if you could learn this a little quicker? And so I'm hoping for a couple of things to happen this morning. That, first of all, that you would be energized in your commitment to the journey. That you would be motivated to begin to reevaluate your sense of entitlement that you would begin to not hold God to account for the things he's not responsible for. That would be good. But that you realize that you're on a, a training journey where he's imparting to you eternal values so that you're investing in things that aren't going to break, aren't going to be cast into the fire, aren't going to disappear in the first light of heaven. So, Father, today, let's stand up together. Lord, we want to say you, you began this, Lord. You, this is love, not that we loved you, but you loved us, and you loved us enough to save us. You loved us enough to reveal yourself to us. You loved us enough to get us started in this journey. I just see people holding up to the Lord the works of their hands and and getting rid of I just I don't know how it happens but I like God you know there's a whole bunch of stuff your confidence your sense of what God should do for you 
Your concept of the role that you should have, how others should regard you, is all wrapped up in what you believe is effective kingdom service, but you don't know what is effective kingdom service. And he's saying, give, give it all to me. I know. Listen, I am the just judge of all. I know. I know. I know what's worthy of me. I know what's worthy of eternity, and I want to pass down to you that knowledge. But you have to be willing to give up your own. All the words that say, oh, it's, this isn't fair. And why isn't God executing justice on my behalf? And why is this not happening? And why did that guy get that and I didn't? Why did this happen to me? Every time you say, why me? You are voicing unbelief and a judgment against the just judge of all. You want to stop doing that. At the end of the day, he'll pull back the curtain and you'll see all of the wisdom in what he restrained, what he allowed, when he intervened, why he intervened, why he did not intervene. You're going to see it all. And you're going to realize what a lot of wasted effort contending for my own righteousness before a righteous God. Father, we want to say, Lord, you are responsible for my journey. And I'm casting down my crown. I'm casting down my entitlement. Real or imagined crowns, I'm casting them down right now. And I'm saying, Lord, I throw my life again into your hands. And I'm saying, bring me into an eternal an eternal revelation if you want to come forward and respond to the Lord do that if you want to stay where you are and just present yourself to the Lord if you want to say to God I want you to go through my my Christian life from the day I was born again every year of service every time Lord, I do a thorough inventory of my entire Christian life. I don't want to be deceived. Lord, shock me now. Don't shock me later. Shock me now. Well, we're going to close up. It's so interesting, right? Sometimes we don't want to do anything for God because we're so fearful of the motive of our hearts. But yet at the same time, that if we're truly loving the Lord, the byproduct is we will do all the stuff. So God, we just pray that you'd sift our hearts. Father, show us our motivations. And God, where those motivations are not pure, where they're not holy, we lay them down at your throne right now. And Father, we will continue to serve. We will continue to love. Because we know what your word says, that when you, you fed the men with no food, you fed me. When you clothed the naked, you clothed me. So Father, we will serve. We will love. But we need you and we call on you right now to come, to transform our hearts, to shift our thinking. When our motive is to serve ourselves. When our motive is selfish gain, when our motive is to be noticed, God, we lay that stuff down and we repent, we repent, we repent, but now we will say we will go higher with you. 
We will call on you because we know you are the one who will purify our hearts. We know you are the one who will give us dreams and visions. And so, Father, we will not stop serving, but we will do it with the right hearts and the right attitude. And so, Father, today as we leave this place, sift our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Can we say amen to that? So as we go, let's not leave thinking, man, I don't know if there's anything good inside of me. Well, we know the answer to that. That's why we need a Savior. And as we go to Him, He will lead us. He will guide us. And we can all thank Him so much for the cross because when we mess up and we ask for Him to forgive us, guess what He does? So let's keep going forward in the process. Amen. We'll be blessed and encouraged. Say hello to one another. Love each other. Love our community. Bless you in Jesus' name.